We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make me. Charlotte, we're back. All right. Welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we're recording live here on Twitter Spaces. I'm here with Spencer and Lee, and we are going to recap the Hornets game that just finished up against the Wizards and also take any speaker requests here in Spaces. We hope to kind of get you guys out of here in about 30 minutes. Spencer, Lee, how's everything been going with you guys? Good. Yeah, it's been, it's been well. You know, this, this three-game winning streak has been nice four, to get back four. to them. Excuse me, four. Yeah, I forgot about the – yeah, three games at home. Um, yeah, four, fourth being in Memphis. But, yeah, I, it's funny. This team is chaotic, as we all know. And I would say, like, that last game, the last loss, which I guess was to the Clippers, I think, in Staples, I was pretty concerned uh, on a lot of different fronts about this squad. And there are points in time in every single game where I re- remain concerned for the same reasons, but <laughs> but the Hornets are finding a way right now. Um, the small ball unit, which I'm sure we'll get into, mm-hmm. has been a godsend for them. And when Wash when PJ Washington gets back, I think this will be a totally different group. So, man, nine and seven, it feels good. How's it going with you, Lee? Hey, yeah, uh, it's good. It's good to be recapping a win. Things are things are good on my end. I, yeah, I think to, like Spencer and BG had a really good pod after, I think it was basically after that Clippers loss that was just kind of breaking down like, all right, what the hell is going on with this defense? Which was at the time, basically the worst defense in the league. And, you know, by hook or by crook, they have found ways to get stops mm-hmm. in in this, in this last, uh, four game winning streak. Um, one of the, you know, the first one being that Memphis went on the road, look like teams have definitely missed open shots during this winning streak, but they've also gone to that junk zone a little bit that, that we've, we've always kind of hit on and talked about. Not, not really as much as I thought they would. They played it a ton against Memphis. And other than that, it's really just been kind of like here or there, a little off speed pitch for, for Borrego. Um, 
Spencer already kind of quickly alluded to the to the uh, small ball lineup that went on. Uh, I think it was a twenty-one to two run, Correct. in that third quarter. Um, and 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 I guess the last kind of like overview thought I'll give before we dig a little deeper is a night where Charlotte really doesn't shoot the ball all that well at all. Uh, 31% from three, 10 of 32, doesn't get to the line, only shoots six free throws, and shoots under 45% from the floor in, ge- in, the, in general, and scores less than 100 points. Uh, and they still find a way to, to, to win at 10, uh, to win by 10 at home against a team that had the best record in the East. Yeah, so yeah, let's dig into this game. It was a tale of two halves here. The first half, and, and a little bit of the third as well, was very hard to watch. Uh, very much of a slog of a game, and and coming into this game, like I was really surprised by the Wizards' defense. Like last year, they were bottom ten in defense. This year, they're like fourth overall, which is just crazy to see that turnaround. We could not have expected that from even Charlotte. Like you know, they were bottom ten or kind of in that range. And we were talking preseason. There's no way Hornets could get up to the top ten. But it's crazy that a team like the Wizards did that. And you you wonder like, is it? Is it personnel that they've added? Is it playing Gafford a little bit more? But I think one thing about this Wizards team that was a little bit different than last year, and you saw it in tonight's game, was the style of play in the sense that they played a whole lot more frantic last year. And you would think, okay, style of play only is concerning on the offensive side. But because they slowed the game down, I think it helps them on the defensive side as well, getting back, getting set, all that type of stuff. And I think the Hornets... In the first half, they were getting frustrated because the Wizards were stretching out these possessions on both ends. They do best, obviously, when they can get out in transition. And they expend a lot of energy when they're having to you know, lengthen these possessions. And the Wizards on the offensive end are also lengthening the possessions. So they make you work for it. And in the first half, they could not get out in transition. Uh, in the second half, they were able to do that a little bit more. Um, and like you mentioned, Lee, that 21-2 to run to end the third quarter. So I, I kind of want to start there. What was so good about that run, and I think we all kind of hit on this, was the small ball aspect and Bridges playing the five. And it's actually something that I'm in the process of writing over at our Buy Me a Coffee site about Bridges at the five. I think it was the small ball. I think it was the zone defense that they played. It was a perfect counter to the Wizards and how bad and how poorly they shot. And they struggled to shoot the ball from the outside. But in the first half, they were getting into the paint and Gafford was just so much of a factor. And we can get to the Plumlee-Nick Richards debate here in a second if we want to. But Gafford was really just dominating Plumlee on the inside. So I think that was the perfect switch for Borrego to kind of turn to the small ball plus the zone. And any run is not complete with the Hornets without a couple of threes from Ubre as well. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the kiss to the sky. Yeah, yeah. So I, the maybe the funniest stat in the entire NBA season, certainly of the Hornets season, Cody Martin was 0-4 tonight in 27 minutes. He had five rebounds, he had two assists, he had steal, he had two blocks. He had his spaces in the in the in the box score, if you will. Zero points in 27 minutes. He was plus 20, plus minus. And I think that's where, like, the small ball conversation starts because, to me, the Hornets are such a read-and-react team on both ends of the floor. You know, it's it's that's really – read-and-react is synonymous with with chaos, chaotic style in, in a lot of ways to me in basketball. But when they go small and they can play Cody Martin at the two or the three – 
uh, and Miles at the five, Uber at the four, you know, whatever your your lineup machination is. It, the, the Hornets just they they sing. It's it's it, you know it, it's it's more like watching you know basketball art in, in, in a form that Charlotte basketball should be. It, you know you're not covering up Mason Plumley either sinking back on a pick and roll or trying to blitz a pick and roll or getting to the level of the screen. You know they're just able to switch across positions, heat up the basketball with big time ball pressure, and and play read and react basketball. So. That's like the stat of the season so far for me. Cody Martin, zero points in 27 minutes, but he's plus 20. That is the style Charlotte wants to play. They want to switch stuff. They want to get up into you defensively. They want to create turnovers, um, have five guys that can grab the defensive rebound and get out into transition. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like you said, Richie, that lineup changed everything. And even when they brought Plumlee in, you know, late in the game, they they sat into that zone still. Mm that uh that lee was referencing and you know it's the it's these small ball lineups that are turning games for charlotte and because they like to play so up and down and such a you know frantic pace once they have the momentum the hornets are really hard to turn off really hard to your point about Cody Martin, he's so good at like locating the ball like on an offensive rebound or an inbound pass where he had that steal where it led to the bridges to the to the Lamelo dunk, like he he gives that effort and that aggression, and he goes after it. Like he's so good, even though he's undersized. And I, I guess the the stat line that you just referenced zero points, but he still made a humongous impact for Cody Martin. So I'm loving his play this year. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So, uh, so the small ball lineup, what, you know, that, the, the, the lineup that made the run that we're all talking about is Ball, Martin, Ubre, McDaniels, Bridges. That group had not played a single possession together all year in that specific configuration. And so you've got, you've got to think like, okay, I would imagine that's something the staff is going to take a note of, you know, post game and, and, and say, uh, well, you know, we're going to have to try to get back to that lineup at some point. I would think the other um, kind of, I guess, stat I was going to bring up is the bridges at the five lineup prior to this game. Uh, so it's actually probably even a little bit better now, uh, 175 possessions plus 7.9 on the year. So that's Ooh. kind of in that, that's kind of in the ilk of what the PJ at the five lineups were last year, like plus six, eight points um, in those net minutes. So with PJ obviously being out for, I mean, what's almost probably been like two weeks now, the Hornets are still finding a little bit of that small ball magic with Miles Bridges, um, who didn't have like an explosive Miles Bridges game tonight. But then you look at the box score and, you know, he's plus 15, he's 8 for 15 from the field, he's got 10 rebounds, 5 assists. The guy has just become an incredibly complete two-way wing that even on nights where he doesn't have, like, his A stuff, uh, he still is one of, if not the most important player on the floor for the Hornets. Um, so, I mean, it was like I said earlier, like, it's just really nice to see this team get a win on a night where they didn't have the offense going all evening and, and only had it in spurts. And yeah, I mean, I've talked about the Kelly Oubre roller coaster all year, um, you know, three for seven from three for him tonight. Uh, and, and it feels like he kind of had them all in a, in, in a, in, in one little like string. So um, yeah, lo- love to see it. You love to see it. Real, real, real quickly. So when PJ Washington does come back, you know, I think the Miles Washington front court combination now is just if if PJ can come back and knock down shots, I just think we have so much more clarity in terms of what those two players should be doing offensively on the floor together. Mm-hmm. Like Miles is the screener in what seventy five to eighty percent, you know, of the times that they're they're on the floor together. You can run that Spain pick and roll action with PJ popping and screening for Miles. You know, you can just put PJ in the corner and have him over there receiving the, the short roll pass from Miles. But, like, I just think we had this, you know, are these two players uh, too too similar? We got to get rid of one of them. And, I mean, I think we're way past that conversation. But even then, I think there's so much more clarity about what the offensive roles are now when, when Miles and PJ are, are sharing the front court. And that's, like, super exciting to me, assuming P.J. can come back healthy because we've already seen what Hornets small ball lineups do mm-hmm. last season and especially this season. So I just wanted to throw that in real quick. Yeah, and the Bridges-P.J. lineups have also been great, uh, you know, playing together. And I think what's been interesting this year is that P.J. has played a lot at the five position, and you're not seeing him a lot in the corners where he does so well in previous years. Uh, so it would be nice to see maybe, like you said, Spencer, have Miles Bridges be the guy in the middle setting the screen because he's so good in the middle of the court because, one, he can create room with the screen setting, 
but also he's so good with the like the ball in his hands. He's he's got it on the string this year as a ball handler. He's just so good, um, you know, shifting and getting to the rim and finishing with either hand at the rim. We do have a request here under construction. So do you have a, a comment or a question? I'm sorry, my mic is off. My apologies. Uh, this is Jamal <laughs> from Under Construction. <laughs> uh, Richie, thank you for having me real quick. Man. Um, I just want to say that when PJ comes back, it presents what I call a good problem. Um, not just flexibility and versatility in the offense, but defensively, I think we even get better with um, PJ coming back. I mean, we, we saw quality minutes from Nick Richards over the last two or three games. So, with PJ coming back, I mean, that gives us <laughs> – I hate to put it like this, but with the foul trouble that Plumlee and, mm. and Richard have been in, that gives us at least six more fouls. But we know PJ is a lot more valuable than just fouls, but you know what I mean. But him coming back gives us another stretch big, um, more versatility, um, you know, more options that JB has in his rotations. And just kind of looking looking forward to having, what I, again, to what I call those good problems, and I'll take it off. Well, I appreciate the comment. Uh, yeah, that's it, it's going to be a good problem to have. And you mentioned fouls. PJ, I feel like, also gets in foul trouble at times. And I think that could segue perfectly into this kind of like center rotation that I, I want to discuss with you guys. You know, when PJ does come back, how is that going to affect Nick Richards' minutes? How is that going to affect Mason Plumley's minutes? I've been a bit of like a devil's advocate for Mason Plumley on this podcast, but tonight might have been like the worst first half of the season for him. <laughs> Just hey, let me can, can I jump in real quick yeah, on, go ahead, on go that? Ahead. <laughs> so there's like this this thing amongst Hornets fans where you know Plumley's like the worst guy they've ever seen, and which is funny because Bismack and Cody were the worst sinners they ever seen. But <laughs> I, I tend to not jump on that boat too much because. Plumley is what he is, but I say all that to say tonight I was right on that train. He was pretty awful in the first half tonight, but I'll also give him credit where credit is due. Um, I, I, I forget the number of rebounds he had, but I think he had at least 10 rebounds tonight. Uh, did a, a better job on Gafford in the second half, so I'm also going to credit where credit is due as well. Yeah, eight, eight offensive rebounds, yeah. Yeah, he had some redeeming qualities in that second half, but in that first right. half – just did not mesh well with what the Hornets were trying to do. And, and Gafford, like I said, was just so physical with him. I, I talked to Lee about this before. Like, he has this demeanor about him where he just is so, like, laid back and lackadaisical. So when, right. he, do, when he does give up offensive rebounds, it just looks worse than maybe, say, like Richards, who is more of a physical type of guy. Um, and I just you just see the difference between those two. Like, Plumlee was not getting to many, like, 50-50 balls or offensive rebounds in the first half, but I think – in the second half, like I said, he redeemed himself. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough conflict to have between Richards, Plumley, and P.J. Washington when he does get back and healthy. What I would say, uh, you know, number one, I think it's a great point. Like, P.J. coming back, particularly, not only from a defensive standpoint, but particularly with, like, the offensive spacing and closing lineups, too, which is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast, like, there were moments tonight where you could where you could see that the opposing center for the Warriors, whether that was Gafford or Harrell, was just completely jamming up the paint and letting Mason essentially just kind of stand on his own around the free throw line. And there's just, there's there's just not a whole lot that Mason can do to counteract that. Um, the other thing is something that 
under construction just kind of alluded to. Like, I think, and you guys know, I've been like the biggest Nick Richards fan out there, but I think there is this incongruency uh, because of like the fallacy of expectations. Like the Nick Richards minutes on the whole are not productive minutes. He has good moments. Like he flashes rim protection. He flashes a pick and roll lob threat that the Hornets really don't have, like besides Miles Bridges, obviously. Um, So like, he does fill certain characteristics that are unique to kind of his skills that this Hornets roster really doesn't employ otherwise, but like he's still a disaster in a lot of way too. And the lineup minutes bear that out. Like the Hornets bleed points when Richards is at the center. Um, That doesn't mean he's not like a worthwhile investment from a development standpoint. The Mason Plumlee minutes on the other hand are a net positive. They're, they're like, barely a net positive, but they are a net positive. So he's doing a little bit more than just treading water. And that's in, you know, almost 10 times the possessions that Nick Richards is at center. So the point I'm trying to make here is like, yes, Mason has his flaws, um, but he is treading water in a better way. I think than, than the stop gaps have in the past for the Charlotte Hornets at center. And when PJ gets back, I think you'll see a lot more PJ at the five. I do think that will cut into some of the Nick Richards minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 to another point that under construction alluded to, it just gives JB like way more flexibility with lineup configuration too. Yeah, and, and I think what you're what you're kind of explaining is the experience factor because some of those things that gets Nick Richards in trouble. I mean, we saw it tonight. What was it? Four fouls in, in two quarters. You know what I mean? And, and some of the getting lost defensively, and it's young player stuff. I mean, we're talking about a, a guy who didn't start playing basketball until he was 16. You know, experience will correct some of those things. And I think fans kind of get, you know, they see those flashes. They see Nick Richards with the with the exciting shot blocks, and, and you know, they, he's catching the lobs, and they're not understanding why is he not getting more minutes. But, again, there's like the, there's the plus minus we can talk about. There's the fact that, he gets lost in defensive rotations and, and, and teams tend to score more when he's on the floor. But again, those things will kind of correct themselves with experience. And with PJ coming back, I, I think he he's, he's probably the odd man out as far as minutes are concerned, but it's going to be better for us in, in crunch time. I, and again, not to sound like a broken record, this is all good problems to have. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, you know, Liebert brings up a great point about – you know, Plumley treading water, you know, from a plus minus perspective. And, um, you know, he's not Bismack Biombo. And that's what we said before the year, right? <laughs> he replaced those minutes with a guy that, that's just going to be able to slice into that net rating a little bit more in a positive way. And so it's a net positive. Um, you know, I, I tweeted this out tonight and I, I firmly believe it. I, I really think Charlotte's going to make a trade for a center uh, before the deadline. I, I just, this is the one position and this is not a surprise, right? Like, but this position's really holding them back right now. Um, the fact that we have the same conversation every single game, it feels like that the small ball lineup, you know, has, has changed the course of the game, has changed the momentum, has changed everything. Uh, you know, that's not something that can last. You can't play Miles at five or even PJ at five, you know, for 30 minutes a game when he returns. So Charlotte has to find an answer there. You know, Miles one or excuse me, Mason's one real redeeming quality, I think, is his passing from the high post mm-hmm. area. And he juices the offense in that way. He although he's he's just a total zero unless he's laying it in or dunking it. 
he he just allows the Hornets to he allows these creative offensive minds to use their creativity to the best of their ability from the free throw line down, right? And and he can switch the floor. So that's his one redeeming quality. And tonight we saw another one, you know, the the eight offensive rebounds didn't jump off the page at me, but it matters, right? It like matters that he gets in there, he mixes it up. Extra possessions. Extra, extra possessions. possessions. And and with the chaotic system, the Hornets are gonna play where a lot of nights it's going to feel like you can't exactly put your finger on what turned the game other than just momentum. I mean, that's this team. Like those eight offensive rebounds, they come in those chaotic moments or they almost slip past you. So that matters too. But anyways, my point is I think this team's got a trade to make. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. And he actually had six of those offensive rebounds in the second half where the Hornets needed it the most. And last thing I'll say about this debate between Nick Richards and Mason Plumley, and we do have one more speaker request, which we will get to here. Offensively, Spencer kind of alluded to this in terms of his passing. Like he is gotten really good at that backdoor pass. Like it's that's a valuable thing to have with this offense. He's good, well, semi-good with that hook shot. But other than that, when it comes to like his side-to-side motion on the offensive side of the court, uh, it just doesn't work well when the Hornets are having to slow it down in the half court. I think he's almost more valuable to this team when they're getting out in transition where the the defense is spread out a little bit more. Richards, I, I noted, like he is a guy that can be more impactful as a pick-and-roll player. And I think when the game does get in a slog like it did in that first half, you need that. You need Richards that can go up and get that lob and work well with LaMelo in the pick-and-roll duo situation there. Um, it did not help that he got into foul trouble in the first half uh, because I felt like he would have played a little bit more minutes tonight. So I will uh, go to our last speaker request uh, before we kind of wrap up here. But uh, Cam MVP or at Thurs Hornets Hub on Twitter. Go ahead. Um, what center do you think we could realistically get towards the deadline? And what do you think we would have to give up for it? Spencer, you, you, you suggested this. So I, I think we're going to turn to you first. I'll say this in terms of like who it would take to give up. Like there's... I, I keep going back to P.J. Washington, but I, I don't want to do it. Like, who on this roster would you give up in a trade other than maybe trading Mason Plumley, but just sign, or we just traded for that guy? So uh, I'll, I'll go to you, Spencer, here. Who is there any guy in mind that you have? Yeah, there's a guy that plays for the Pacers. Um, well, his his uh, stock has rised, yeah. Yeah, 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 I, I guess it has. I think his stock is, like, plateaued at this point. I mean, the Pacers have... have They've, they've danced around this idea for years. Like, how, how much can his stock really rise at this point? I know he's having a good season, but Miles Turner is the obvious one. You know, I, I, Brian and I kind of talked about this I, the last time we recorded on, on BuzzBeat, but I think that a trade would, with, for Miles Turner would have to involve P.J. Washington. You know, I would probably do that before I think Brian would, um, and I don't know what you guys think. I, I just – I like PJ Washington. I don't love PJ Washington. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he sends this team over the moon like some people do. You know, there's a guy in Sacramento named Rashawn Holmes that the Hornets could outbid the entire league for. They would really have solved all these problems in free agency, but they didn't do it. Um, I, I'd have to rack my brain on other, you know, centers. They, Jonas Valanciunas, I, I think, is another guy that that's kind of in prison in New Orleans right now that, that could help the Hornets wouldn't solve all of their problems, but I'm just kind of spitballing here. I, I Miles you thought Turner, about Nurkic at all? That That's a pivot for Portland, and, and I, I'm right. not real bullish that they'll make a pivot as long as Dame is on that roster. You know, that would have to, like, 
Like if Dame got traded, then I could see Nurkic getting traded, right? I just think Turner's the one. Like usually when you hear out in the media that Charlotte has been hot for someone, whether it be through a draft or in the league, it ends up being true. And I think they've been hot for Miles Turner for a while. And I I just think the time is now. If they're going to make a trade for a center, they can really change. And and I'm not sure Miles Turner can change a lot for them. I I think – he gives them starters, starting center minutes that are going to be super positive instead of neutral to slightly below neutral. But, yeah, you're going to have to part ways with the P.J. Washington. You just will. And and I think Horns fans are split on whether that's a good idea or not. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's a really – obviously it's a kind of an obvious question, but I think it's a good question by Cam VP, which is a nice Twitter handle, by the way, uh, and, and, and topical. Um, but uh, – because I agree theoretically, like I totally agree that a player of the Miles Turner ilk would be like a picture perfect fit for kind of the roster deficiencies, like the structural roster deficiencies that we've talked about for, I don't know, like a year and a half, two years now. But I, I think the, the, the very like, the tough, the tough deal to put together is, be, is, is the question he asked. It's one who are you getting um, that truly makes a difference? Like that, that truly moves the needle for this team as like a playoff contender. And what are you sending out the door? Um, and I think we could probably do almost a whole podcast on that. And maybe we will towards the trade deadline, but that that's, that's really what it, what it, what it totally boils down to. And I think those names we kind of just, just threw out off the top of our heads are, uh, are the likely suspects? Um, may, maybe, maybe there's another one or two we can explore. But those are the, I think those are the main ones. One last thought, real quick, on this trade. Uh, yes, we will have a larger conversation one time, and I know we need to go, Richie. But I just, with Miles entering restricted free agency, with Pete, with, with Lamelo, you know you're going to have to pay him every penny he's you know, that he can possibly make. I know it's still a few years down the road, but it's not really that far down the road. Like. Windows open and close the NBA so quickly that I think if if I'm the Charlotte front office, I look at this team, I look at the athleticism, I look at Miles punching above his weight, Lamelo taking another step, and I'm like, you know what? Like the Eastern Conference, although it's very competitive, it's also wide open. You know, after Milwaukee and Brooklyn, when they're healthy, it's anybody's game. And so why not us? Like, look at what Atlanta did last year. Like, I really do believe now's the time to take a swing. And you might miss on Miles Turner. Maybe he isn't the answer. But, like, he's having a – I just think if you wait – because we've seen this movie before. Being being cheap, being patient, being conservative, you know, whatever adjective you want to use. I think this team could be a top five Eastern Conference team. I, I, I firmly believe that. I think we've seen all the evidence. So I think now is the time to shore up the center position. And to Lee's point, like if you're going to get someone that does move the needle, say a Miles Turner, who's actually shooting a career best from behind the arc this year, we've kind of given him flack as a guy that's not really been someone that stretches the court. It's going to take something in return uh, so does it move the needle as much as you think it will when you start sending out those players in the opposite direction? So it, it's kind of like that give and take that you kind of have to think about always when you make a trade like that. So I do think 
Turner is a perfect fit for the holes, like in terms of the defensive side. But again, what are you sending in the opposite direction? And does it make a net gain in the end of it all? But it's definitely more of a conversation like we can have a little bit later in the season. The last two things that I just want to mention before we wrap here, just kind of bullet point things. Uh, LaMelo Ball, like over anything else tonight, I think his biggest asset was just, especially early in the game, some of his hustle plays, getting to a couple of loose balls, uh, tipping some offensive rebounds in the Hornets' direction. He even stripped Gafford early on that led to a pull-up three. I think he actually had a career high in assist tonight, if I'm not mistaken. So didn't shoot the ball very well, but he found ways to make impact throughout the course of the game. And then lastly, Terry Rozier, we would really love for him to start getting going from behind the arc from, you know, quarter one. But I will say (laughs) this, he's been clutch for the past couple of games against the Warriors and the Wizards. So uh, when they needed buckets, they turned to him and he converted. So those are the last two things that I wanted to mention before we get out of here. Lee Spencer, any other parting thoughts about this game? Um, just one, and you, you kind of just started to hit on it there a little bit. One, I think interesting, uh, kind of rotation note that, that I think fans can take away, uh, seems to be like a a pretty like strong trend now. Uh, if Smith is out of the rotation and Terry Rozier is essentially the, the de facto backup point guard, which eight to 10 months ago would have kind of terrified me, but he's actually been a pretty good tear caretaker and like offensive organizer. And has actually been like a little bit better in the pick and roll too, I think. So that's something I think fans should and probably have been watching a little bit. And the only other kind of like implication that goes with that is Borrego is now playing LaMelo, like the entirety of the first, first quarter. Rozier comes out first of that guard slot normally for like Ubre or, or Cody Martin. And then Rozier enters back like early to mid second quarter and LaMelo gets his break. So I just think that's kind of like an interesting rotation thing to watch. This seems to be pretty clear now, like, cause we're, we're like six games into ish kind of being completely out of the lineup. Yeah, it's a great point. I think Rozier's been fine too. You know, it, it's nothing that, that blows you away, but he's taking care of the basketball. And it, it is a way with Rozier struggling, you know, early in games, but certainly earlier in the season, you know, shooting from beyond the arc. He seems to find his way into the game offensively a little bit, a little bit more seamlessly when he's got the ball in his hands, playing that pick and roll, getting to it, you know, defender on his back, getting into that herky jerky kind of style he has allows him to get into the game because, you know, with some of the back backcourt horses that Charlotte has now, it would be easy for a guy like Rozier to kind of get lost in translation, especially when he's not seeing the shot go down. So it's been an unexpected adjustment, I think for Brego, but a a one that's paid off. I I really thought Ish was going to have a spot in this rotation. So that took me by surprise, but yeah, good. Good. Yeah, it's good feedback there. All right, Hornets win ninety seven eighty seven. We're gonna go ahead and wrap here on Twitter Spaces. If you join late, the full episode is gonna be out tomorrow on your podcast feeds. Uh, before we get out of here, though, I do want to read an Apple Podcast review. We definitely love seeing these pop up, even if they're short and sweet like this. This one is from Nick Troll Four on Apple Podcast. He says. Quote, great Hornets pod with an array of hosts delivering strong insight on the buzz. Must listen. So we appreciate that. Actually, as we log off here, I do want to play one little clip from Eric Collins as we wrap. For Lee, for Spencer, this is Richie. Go Hornets. Hey,